So when we talk about a cultural diversity in the church, as the church, as God's family, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a restoration to the way God created us to be and hopes for us to be. God is restoring all things back to the way he created them to be, people, places, things. This whole topic, the thing behind the thing with cultural diversity in the church, is that until we work on restoration and reconciliation of relationships with others, especially those who are different than us, we will never have a culturally diverse expression of the church in unity. This is all about relationship. This isn't about, well, I seek to understand. I don't, I tasted it. I don't like it. I don't like your songs. This is too long for me. You don't parent your kids the way I prefer to. I don't want to have you around. This all gets sort of subsumed in. Are we about the restoration of all things, the purpose of the gospel? making disciples in every language, in tongue, and tribe. Yeah, that's who we are. That's what we get to be about. Welcome to the Everyday Disciple Podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Hey, how's it going today? Hope your week and your day is going awesome. Mine is. It's been a really busy last few days. Coming off the road, I was doing some training with a beautiful community in North Carolina doing some story of God training and come off the road of that. But you know how it is when you travel or vacation or whatever, you come back and you're busier than ever. And that's how it's been this week. There's been a lot of coaching and all, but you know what? Right now I'm getting to do my favorite thing and that's be with you and do another edition of the Everyday Disciple Podcast. Hey, last week on the podcast, I debuted a new segment that I called Something to Think About. In that brand new sort of dealio, I talked about God's real name and that God's name is not God. Did you catch that? Did you listen last week? And it's right at the end of the episode. Did you catch that? What did you think of that segment if you heard it? I would love to know. Is it something fun? Is it valuable to you? Should I do more of these? I'd really like to know. If you'd hop into the Facebook group, if you're already a member, great. Let me know, hey, something to think about was great, horrible, don't do any more, I love it, do it every episode, or you know, whatever you think. And if you've not yet joined us in the Facebook group, please do so. You can go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash Facebook. It'll take you right to the group. Or when you're in Facebook, just search for Everyday Disciple podcast and you'll find it. Okay. And I also want to invite you to be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you like or dig. And if you want to see, there is a growing list of ways, cool ways to listen to podcasts these days. You can go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash subscribe. And we've got a, a little easy list you can click on and check out all the new ways there are. All right. Now, before I get started today, I just want to once again, invite you to uh, jump on a phone call with me or maybe a Zoom call, and we can get to know each other a little bit better. If you're interested in learning a full framework for discipleship and mission in your context, for your family, for your church, for your missional community, and growing in your gospel fluency, that's what we do. That's what Tina and I do as a couple with couples in cohorts with other people on the same journey as you. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about that, you can go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash coaching. There's a little bit of information there and a really short little form that you can fill out and we can set up a call. 
All right, I'd love to do that, tell you more about it, and see if we might be able to help you on your disciple-making journey. Okay, let's dive into what I want to talk about today. Experiencing a diverse group of believers walking with and worshiping God together as a family, that's a beautiful thing. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. However, there are obstacles to this becoming a more common reality today or maybe forever. And usually when this is talked about or addressed in the church, you know, having a greater cultural diversity, I've experienced that the conversation of diversity generally focuses on just on race or ethnicity. But as we get started talking about some common challenges to experiencing greater diversity as a church, I just want to point out that diversity is not just about skin color. Diversity comes in all shapes and sizes and all that. We have different ages, maybe, diversity. You know, some churches, some missional communities, small groups, they're really young, some are really old or all over. Men, women's communities and groups, married or single, people with kids or no kids, your age and stage of life, maybe you're, have, maybe you're doing your first job or maybe you're running a company or perhaps you've already retired or you've an empty nester or you've got babies. Or, right, there's all this economic levels. There's diversity in that, which has for a long time been a pretty big marker of separation in culture. Maybe you'll have homeless people in your community, part of your church or part of your missional community. Sexual orientation, political views and affiliations, your education levels. There's all kinds of things that make us diverse. It's not just race and our ethnicity or our accent, or whatever. So let that sort of percolate a little bit in your hearts just as we get started talking about being a much more culturally diverse church, a more culturally diverse family, as I'm going (laughs) to suggest. But here's the thing. When leaders have discussed this, exactly how to bring together a culturally diverse group of people into a church community, the issues at hand And the ones that are usually addressed seem to me to always be about what the members of a local church will do when they're at the church service together on Sunday morning. What the music will be like. Do we jump around on stage or in the aisles? Do we play organ or acoustic guitars? Do we all bang on tambourines? Rarely is the church seen as a family with the desire to live together as a family on mission together throughout the week and in everyday life. We, we just have this sort of myopic focus on that Sunday gathering for an hour and a half. And how do we make that more blended, more diverse, more culturally, you know, different and wide ranging and all that? Check this out. Ephesians 2.19. So you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are the children of the city of the holy ones with all the rights as family members of the household of God. This reality of us being knit together as one family of God in everyday life is not talked about and the challenges that this shared life may encounter. Again, when we want to look at being a culturally diverse church, we want to look at being a culturally diverse family. And today I want to address both our gathered experience as the church, as a family, and our day-to-day lives as the one universal church. I want to have a little fuller discussion. And remember, the goal is not homogeny, where we all start to look and sound exactly the same way, dress the same way, 
and prefer all the same things. The goal is to experience and display the full diversity that the vastness of humanity reflects as co-heirs of God's image bearing and our collective identity. That's the goal. But as we look at that, I want to just talk about seven common challenges that we may encounter as we seek greater cultural diversity as the family. Gathered in our homes, on Sunday mornings in our church buildings, at work, and just as the church, as a family. And let each of these challenges, as we go through them, address your heart personally and where maybe you might be living with unbelief or pride or selfishness. I know I have to do this. I think we all could probably use a good dose of that. All right, so here's the seven common challenges that we might run into when trying to be more culturally diverse as the church. Again, both gathered and scattered. First one is personal. There's personal challenges to this. We often come with great prejudices. That word prejudice means judgment in advance. (laughs) It's prejudging other people or groups based on our own ill-conceived expectations of them and usually our complete lack of meaningful interaction with them. That personal sort of prejudice is going to be a it's going to be a challenge. It really will be to coming together and being a diverse family. And our personal feelings for self-comfort. We often we'll think things, oh this is hard for me. I feel uncomfortable around others that are different from me. You know, not so much sitting in silence in rows with them. I can handle that, but Doing life with them, having them in my home, oh boy. See, there's lots of polls out there and surveys and all about, would you like to have a more culturally diverse church? And everybody raises their hand, yeah, I would. And what they mean is church service. But the church is people, and there's really only one church, even though we have worked real hard to separate and divide and name things and congregate things. And yeah, you know what I'm saying. But there's really only one church. And so when people are asked, would you like a more culturally diverse church? They usually mean, oh yeah, like it'd be great to have more people of color or different ethnicity or whatever at our services. But what about your homes? What about in your life? What about playing with your kids? What about everything? You see, there's going to be personal issues that are going to become challenges. Here's the next thing to think about. We have learned preferences. You know, the way we've always done things or the way we grew up doing things forever is very different between different cultures. And I'm talking about both at, you know, our church services and in our homes. Our learned preference can often get in the way. That's not the way we do it. That's just not how we've always done it. And to that, I want to say, so what? (laughs) So what? Remember, the goal is not homogeny, that we'd all start to sort of swallow hard and just love all the same things, that learned preference is just that. And you can look across people that are from the same background as you in sense of ethnicity and your race and all of that, even in one city, and see very wide-ranging learned preferences that only serve to separate, regardless of race or age and stage of life or any of that. That's going to be a challenge that we're going to need to address and let the gospel speak into our learned preferences. is Are we going to let that get in the way of what God wants to do, wants us to be as his family? Here's the third thing. We're going to have theological and spiritual challenges. We don't believe exactly the same things. 
That's, we're going to find that out pretty quick. That's going to require work. Questions like, what is the gospel? What is salvation all about? Or heaven? Or hell? How does discipleship happen? We're, we're going to wrestle with those things. Trust me, the whole church has been. And people from different countries, from different swatches, let's say, of family life in the church have very different views on all these things. Their theological, spiritual understanding could be very, very different than ours. As I've been privileged to travel around the world and work in ministry in over 30 countries, it is startling on how different our perspectives on spiritual and theological issues can be. Will you uh, require everyone in your life to believe the exact same things theologically that you do before you'll hang out with them and do life and mission together? Or will you choose to grapple together, contend with one another, to find the fullest expression of truth as a a sharing of our God-given diversity and experiences can bring us? So that's, that's how we get there. Remember, there is a diversity that God himself has created for a purpose to teach us. Like we require this diversity to fully understand him and express his glory. It's both. I wonder what lack I have because I've probably been mostly part of a church of people who are a lot like me. And I attract as a speaker or a pastor or leader people who are a lot like me. I wonder what I lack because of that. Have you ever thought about that? Here's the fourth challenge that I've kind of been thinking about to cultural diversity in the church. It's philosophical differences, philosophical challenge here. Uh, Our worldview and priorities will probably differ from other people that were raised very differently than us or from other segments of culture or life or different races. Our politics may differ for all kinds of different reasons, actually, not just because of the city we grew up in or the color of our skin. See, our different worldviews will frame reality and solve problems differently or seek to solve those problems differently. There will be philosophical, really, the way we see the world differences. But what a richness to mine, to go after, to dig into instead of fearing it. As I think about avoiding that, I think, why would we? Why would I not want to have people bump up against my worldview and challenge that? That we might understand God better, understand the world he's made and how he plans to glorify himself in and through all things and all people. Why wouldn't I want that challenged? See, here's the thing. If you feel like your worldview is right and you're certain of it, then you have nothing to fear. If you feel like it's still a bit squishy and you might be growing, well, then you have something to embrace. But either way, this doesn't have to be a challenge, but it certainly could be, as you could probably guess. And here's number five. It's just practical stuff. At our church gatherings and as we do life together with people that are all different than us in ages and stages and colors and preferences and backgrounds and all that, it's just practical things like how long will a church service be? When, what time do we start the thing? What day do we do that on? What, when will it end? What language or languages do we need to include to make everybody feel at home and hear things in their heart language? And how about in our homes? If we're going to be a family, a diverse family, practical things like when do we hang out? How often? 
when we eat, what do we eat? How do we raise our kids? That might be real different. What do we talk about? What do we, you know, all that stuff, right? Just practical mechanics of life together could be very, very different. Bedtimes, work hours, ethic, you know, all that stuff. There's going to be some real practical challenges that we'll need to bear with one another and seek to embrace on behalf of loving each other well. Not like, well, that just doesn't work for me. So that whole consumeristic church mentality that we've some ways inherited, but then, of course, we're just as guilty of propagating further, usually excludes people. Just maybe on this practical level, like, oh, I, you know, I don't, there's no way I'm going to a church service that late in the morning. Or there's no way we don't know. We never go past lunch. I got to eat my lunch on time. You know, we got to get out of church service by, you know, by, by 1230 or but, uh, no, it's too late. Cause then the restaurants are full. That's why I go to the early service. I want to get ahead of everybody. Make sure we get in there early and not tip anybody, <laughs> you know, like, are we really that stuck and consumeristic that even when we gather, it's, it's all based on that. Will we be willing to loosen up a little and experience that or even maybe move things around? I don't know. And the same in our homes. Are we willing to do things differently inside, outside, front yard, backyard, grilled, not grilled, boiled, steamed? I, I, you get my point. Let's look at some of those practical things and say, you know, that's how a family is. Let's not let those divide us. Here's number six. Maybe number six of the challenges we might have to think about or face as we seek greater cultural diversity as a church. And that's There's a cross-cultural aspect to this, meaning our experience in society is different. It's, when we say cross-cultural, it's kind of cross-societal as well. Our experiences in society are very different based on what side of the tracks you've been raised on, your race, the income level you have or were raised with. I can remember how different, as I got older, people I met in high school lived than we lived you know, when you're a little kid, it kind of, you live in your neighborhood, you're not perceiving most of that. But as I got older and as I moved out of our neighborhood that I mostly grew up into different neighborhoods, and then I saw people who had a lot more resources than us. And I, you know, was invited to their homes and all that. You go, Whoa, life is pretty different across societal. We experience life differently. We also experience what the media tells me about me and you differently. You ever think about that? You ever think about that neighbor or person from work who is very different than you? You you pick the category. Do you ever think that maybe they don't listen to the same news station you listen to or look at the same websites you do? Or maybe what the media tells them about themselves is very different than what the media tells you about you? See, some people that we're going to seek to now embrace as family as brothers and sisters may not understand us (laughs) right we think oh i don't understand them i this is awkward they are gonna also have that same feeling think about it if you grow up as a minority in a city and now people are trying to embrace you and you've always been taught to fear them or you for whatever reason have just because they're very different or you have always felt less than or completely different than them yeah Those kinds of things will be barriers. And they're not going to be solved through, well, let's all start watching the same news station every night and that'll level that out. Or let's make sure we don't watch this. You know, no, it's going to be 
pretty much all of these actually so far are going to be through time together. Yeah, through patience, through an intentionality to love others as we love ourselves. And that kind of leads to number seven here, which is there's relational challenges. There just is. And maybe that, maybe this number seven relational challenges might just encompass all of them, really. Like, what do friendships look like? How do our family times look and feel? How does family even interact? Not everybody was raised with the same family values and rhythms, not even within the same race or religion or age and stage, but there's such a diversity there. How much time do we spend together when we hang out? Is it, is it real metered? Is it scheduled like crazy? Or does it go all day? I can remember going to the best wedding ceremony that Tina and I ever did. It was over in Europe, and it was a hybrid Romanian-Estonian wedding, and it went all day. I think it was eight or ten hours. It was amazing. And some of you hear that right away and go like, I could never do that. Well, you could if you love people, like as much as we love them. That was the best thing like that wedding ceremony we'd ever experienced in celebration. Relational challenges are going to be real. How do you hang together? How often? What do you do for fun? How do you celebrate? What's appropriate celebration? What's that look like? I can't even list them all because there's going to be a lot of relational differences. But how interesting is that? Here's an analogy that I kind of use in my own heart is when it comes to food, my mom growing up, she really liked everything. She just had a wide range of food. My father, it was as narrow as like we could pretty much guess by the night of the week what we were going to be eating because that's what he wanted my mom to make. It wasn't because of her broad love of food. It was because of his narrow love. Well, I ended up inheriting my mom's taste for food. And Tina's the same way, and so are our kids. We love all the foods. <laughs> we will try everything. When we go on vacation or into another city, we purposely try to get off the beaten path, not go to any chain restaurants, and find some local neighborhood hideaway little small thing and try the weirdest, funnest, what did grandma make, how did she make it, that's what I want to try. That diversity for us is fun. That diversity represents, look at all the ways God has made food and flavor and color and texture. We're the same way. I, I, I long to understand that better. I long for people to bear with me. It's this, isn't, this isn't one way. I long for people to bear with me that I might understand all that and those differences and nuances and flavors and tastes and fun and celebration and all that from their perspective. I want that. I really do. And I want them to be patient with me as well. So if you're hearing this and you're not just like me or not the same color or race or age and stage or ethnicity or income level or whatever, would you bear with me to let your life be known and your preferences known and help me understand why you love these things so we can have a true relationship? I want you to. Scripture teaches us that as the church, our ministry and message is one of reconciliation, right? Reconciliation. And, and that word reconciliation, it comes from like the 1300s, really old, meaning to make good again or to repair. Reconciliation is meant to repair relationships that are broken. It's about restoration. So when we talk about a cultural diversity in the church, as the church, as God's family, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a restoration to the way God created us to be and hopes for us to be. 
all pre-babble with different languages and a scattering out of differences. God is restoring all things back to the way he created them to be. People, places, things. This whole topic, the thing behind the thing with cultural diversity in the church, is that until we work on restoration and reconciliation of relationships with others, especially those who are different than us, we will never have a culturally diverse expression of the church in unity. We just won't. That's really the thing behind the thing. This is all about relationship. This isn't about, well, I seek to understand. I don't, I tasted it. I don't like it. I don't like your songs. This is too long for me. You don't parent your kids the way I prefer to. I don't want to have you around. This all gets sort of subsumed in. Are we about the restoration of all things, the purpose of the gospel, making disciples of disciples in every language, in tongue and tribe? Yeah, that's who we are. That's what we get to be about. And there will always be different congregations of different types of people spread around the world. But as our world's becoming much more cross-pollinated and mixed, oh, let's let that die and let's embrace this restoration, this reconciliation that God's all about. I want to close with a, a passage from Revelation 7 here as we kind of wrap up the podcast today. This, this, this passage gives us great hope and the answer for how we'll ultimately overcome our differences and experience all that God has for us as his people. This is Revelation 7. I'm going to start reading from verse 9. It's beautiful. Revelation's a bit of a weird book, right? But this is a picture. Remember, this isn't a textbook. This is a picture, almost like an allegory. But this is this is what the writer's saying. It says, Behold, right in front of me, I saw a vast multitude of people, an enormous multitude, so huge that no one could count, made up of people from every nation, tribe, people group, and language. They were all in glistening white robes, standing before the throne and before the Lamb with palm branches in their hands. And they shouted out with like one passionate voice, salvation belongs to our God seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation, that's a word about restoration. Picks up in verse 11. This is all the angels were standing in a circle around the throne with the elders and the four living creatures. You got to read back further to know who those are. So all the angels are standing around a circle and they all fell on their knees before the throne and worshiped God singing, amen, praise and glory, wisdom and thanksgiving, honor, power and might belong to our God forever and ever, amen. And then he goes on, it's interesting. He goes on, says, then one of the elders asked me, who are these in the glistening white robes and where have they come from? And I answered, oh my Lord, you must know. And then he said to me, They are the ones who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. See, it's about Jesus. That's how we get to that picture, this great diversity. He goes on. They've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and have emerged from the midst of great pressure and great ordeal. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, ministering to him as priests day and night within this sanctuary. And the enthroned one, Jesus, spreads over them his tabernacle shelter. See, he's the one protecting all of this. Their souls will be completely satisfied. For the lamb at the center of the throne continuously shepherds them unto life. And this is speaking of the fullness of life, that everything God intended, guiding them to everlasting fountains of life. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's powerful. I want a taste of that here today. I want a bigger taste of that. We've seen it emerge in in Ephesians before when the church was first birthed 
and we've seen it in little fits and starts throughout history as the, as the church family. Let's embrace all that God has for us as his multi-ethnic, racially diverse, very, very different children as we together embrace Jesus and his kingdom that has come. You with me? (laughs) I hope so. I know this is deep in all of our hearts that we would like this. I hope it is, but there will be these challenges. Hey, if you're interested in learning a fuller framework of discipleship and how the gospel speaks into everything in all of life, I would love to be able to walk with you and tell you a little bit about the coaching and mentorship that Tina and I offer. If you if you want to find out more, just check out everydaydisciple.com forward slash coaching and we can hop on a Zoom call and I could tell you more and, and see if we could serve you in all of this. Okay, well, as we wrap up, I want to leave you with the big three takeaways from today's topic. And you can get a printable PDF of the big three as a free download by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash big three. Here's my big three for this week. Diversity in the church is not an inevitability, which should be clear from history. It's something that takes place and grows through our intentionality. But most of us already live in a pretty diverse community if we choose to acknowledge and celebrate all the differences that God has already brought together. Authentic, life-giving relationships with others different than ourselves takes humility. We'll have to lay down our pride and any fears we have and be willing to include, learn from, and even follow others. Mm -hmm. Here's number two. Don't miss this. Cultural and ethnic diversity is a beautiful picture of what God is like. Yeah, that's what the world's needing to see. All humans are created in God's own super diverse image including you. God loves everyone as much as he loves you and loves me. Jesus died for the sins of everyone, regardless of their age, skin color, ethnic background, or their opinions. We can discover more of what God is like when we embrace the differences in others and look for their unique divine reflection of God. And number three, how to kind of put some rubber on the road here. Start by embracing the wide range of cultural and experiential differences that already exist within your community, wherever you're living. There is so much to learn from one another. And it's there if we want it, if we choose it. But this will take intentionality, like I've already said. Let others with different backgrounds and opinions challenge your thoughts and your beliefs and preferences. Learn to bear with one another in ways that reflect the love of God that you've received. Start looking for regular outward-focused activities as a community to build new relationships of trust with a diverse mix of people. Don't just holy huddle. Don't just navel gaze. Don't just look at each other. And don't expect others to automatically love and understand you either. (laughs) They're learning too. Stay humble. Be patient. And trust the Holy Spirit to guide you in all of this. He will. I promise you. This is what he's accomplishing. This is where it's all heading. Let's be a part of that, not a blockage to that. Okay, well, time's up for today. I hope that's encouraging. I hope that's helpful. Please join me next week where I'm going to have a question for you. Who has the loudest voice and influence in your life today? It may not be who you think it is or who you want it to be. We'll have a good look at that together. Can't wait. I'll talk to you soon. 
Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day.